I just reached a level where I wanted to grow, but I couldn't grow without bringing on additional help. And so it put me at this turning point where I had to decide, am I going to bring on subcontractors or am I essentially going to create an agency model or am I going to be able to pivot in another direction? Hi, Offscripters. It's your host, Sewa Ajay Pele, and welcome to episode 136 of the She's Offscript podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for their business success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we meet Megan Freeland, who's also known as Multipassionate Meg. Megan is a health content strategist and a public health pharmacist. Today's conversation with Megan is an exploration of how to navigate those moments when you need to quit, pivot, or even go back to having a nine to five after running a business. Now, Megan worked for the CDC as a public health pharmacist, but soon found herself getting frustrated with things like having to get six levels of approval just to create a simple fact sheet. As an outlet, she started writing a blog answering the medical questions her friends and families were asking her. And soon she was discovered by another medical business that approached her to write for them. This gave birth to Megan's business, but also a series of other pivots we can all learn from. Before we hear the rest of Megan's episode, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate and review our show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help to spread the word about our show so amazing stories like Megan's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. If you're listening to this episode when it's first released, then you're right on time to hear that we recently opened the doors to the Side Business Lab. This is a program that not only shows you exactly how to build your own online business, but also shows you how to repeatedly get customers while working your nine to five. To join us inside of the Side Business Lab, you can go to sewaajpele.com forward slash side business lab. With that, let's go off script with the founder of Stockrose Creative, Megan Freeland. Megan Freeland, welcome. She's off script. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be in conversation with you today. I'm excited to dive into your journey because I think it's one that we really need to hear more about. But for anyone who has not come across you, could you share who you are and what you do? Yes. So I am Megan Freeland. I'm a public health pharmacist by training, but I work as a health communication specialist and health content strategist. And so I own a health content marketing company called Stock Rose Creative. And I also am full-time employed for a national nonprofit also working in health communications. A major focus of our conversation today is going to be about how you started off working in a pharmacy-related field and then pivoted to full-time entrepreneurship, and then now you find yourself balancing both. So take us back to the beginning. You went to pharmacy school. What was your intention when you went to pharmacy school? 
Yeah. So my intention when I went to pharmacy school was already kind of off script. Most people go into pharmacy intending to work in a community setting, such as like an independent pharmacy or like your CVS, Walgreens type of pharmacy, or maybe they want to practice in a hospital. My goal was just to learn more about drugs and going to pharmacy school was the only way that I knew to be able to do that. But I was actually interested in working in public health. Before I went to pharmacy school, I was kind of debating between going towards pharmacy or towards public health. And I decided ultimately to go into pharmacy, but to use that background to still build a career in public health. So that was my intention going into it. And everything that I did throughout that journey was kind of geared towards making sure that I had a solid background to be competitive in public health because it is not conventional for a lot of pharmacists to be in that space. So fast forward, you felt like you didn't really have a lot of support in picking the job you ultimately found because people weren't sure what exactly is it you're trying to do. So you find yourself working for the CDC. How did that role play out for you? That was a great role. That was my dream job. Like my, as a public health person, the CDC is kind of like top tier. It's like, you know, the place that you want to be, or at least it's perceived that way a lot of times. And so for me, I went to undergrad at Emory and Emory is right next door to the CDC. So that was my North Star. And when I was in pharmacy school, I had the chance to do a fellowship, a summer fellowship at the CDC, which was amazing and only solidified my feeling of wanting to pursue that post-pharmacy school. So I did a postgraduate fellowship, got pregnant in the middle of that fellowship, came back home to Atlanta. And fortunately, there was an opportunity in that same division of the CDC that I had done that previous summer fellowship at. So I got in that role and it was wonderful because it exposed me to a different side of medical writing and health communications that I had not had a whole lot of experience with before. Prior to that, what the work that I did was mostly um, writing for other healthcare providers, which is a much different style of writing than if I'm writing to the general public or someone that doesn't have a healthcare background. So in that particular role, it was much more, it allowed for much more creativity in the process. And that's actually what sparked my interest in health communications and health content strategy. So I'm very fortunate to have had that opportunity. So at some point, as you're writing, you create your own blog because you felt a little bit constricted in the way you could express yourself. Is that right? So talk to us about then that transition, because now that's your foray into the world of entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. When I started that blog, it was a creative outlet because at that point I was in a different writing role that was like the opposite of what I was doing before. So whereas that role was very fun and creative, this other role that I found myself in, we were primarily writing to the FDA and that writing is very regulatory. There's a lot of legalese. There's no creativity when you're communicating with the FDA. So as an outlet, I said, hey, I'm going to start a blog and use this as an opportunity to answer a lot of questions that my friends and family are always asking me as like the family pharmacist. And I took that opportunity to learn more about how to write for 
people who don't have a healthcare background. And in the process of doing that, a health company approached me and said, hey, we noticed your blog. Would you like to write blog content for us? Which I did not really realize was a thing. Like I just didn't realize that was a need that that health companies had. But that was my first introduction to the fact that this was a need in the market and that it is something that I could do on the side and actually make money from, not just as an outlet or for fun. How did they even find you? I still don't know. To this day, I don't know. It could have been like, it could have been on Pinterest. It could have been Google. It could have been a variety of things, but I don't think I was using Pinterest at that time. So honestly, I don't know. I'm not sure. But you know what? The important thing is you were putting yourself out there in a professional enough manner for them to say, hey, we want to hire her. Yeah. Even though you weren't, that wasn't your intent to begin with. Yeah, I completely agree. And and I think that just underscores the importance of like not being afraid to put yourself out there, even if you don't have a firm plan or have a firm goal or know where it's going. Like sometimes people are noticing you, even if you don't notice them noticing you. Exactly. So how did you then turn that into a business? Because you went from not even knowing that people got paid to write blogs to then getting a whole business and clients within the health industry. So how did you build upon it to get to that point? It was, um, I think of it kind of as as a snowball effect that started with Mm -hmm. that first company that reached out to me. At that point, I didn't know that it existed. But once I did, I was like, oh, okay. So there are other, if, if this company is interested, right, then there must be others who are interested. And so I kind of started to take a freelancing approach to the writing. I was, you know, still working in my full time role, the regulatory role, but I started seeking out other clients to kind of just, you know, make some extra income to pay down the loans, buy things for my, for my son. And eventually once the snowball reached a certain size, I realized, Hey, I could actually, I can pay my bills with the money that's coming in through freelance writing. I don't necessarily have to stay in this role that I did not like, by the way, the, I did not like what I was doing at that time. And I also didn't have a great relationship with some folks within my team. So having this opportunity where I was clearly able to generate a good amount of income, I just thought to myself, I can just use this to pay my bills. And once my professional, like my nine to five contract ends, because I was a contractor at this point, once my contract ends, I just might not renew the contract. And I just might, you know, focus on the writing side of things. And so even though I was, even though I realized that was a possibility, I was hesitant to do it. And so I talked Mm. to my husband about it and he was like, yeah, you can do it. You'll be fine. And if you're not like, you'll figure something out, like (laughs) you'll be okay. So he convinced me to, to let my contract go and to continue working on my freelancing. And, you know, you said a couple of things there where the fact that you did have a side business gave you flexibility to choose what it is that you wanted to do for your nine to five. Mm -hmm. You didn't really love what you were doing. So you had the flexibility to jump off, even if it was temporarily while you figured out another nine to five. In your case, you stayed on the side of entrepreneurship for a while longer, but I love that having that side stream of income helps you feel like you don't have to stay in toxic situations. Not to say yours was toxic, but for anyone listening who does have a toxic situation, if you do have another source of income, you're flexible about the kind of jobs that you are able to say yes and no to. Exactly. That's exactly right. And and I would take that even one step further and say not even just professional 
toxic situations, but even if you have situations in your personal life that are toxic, having access to additional income provides you with more freedom and flexibility in terms of how you're able to live your life within or outside of work. And so I understand that like, it's not necessary for everyone to have a side hustle or for everyone to generate side income. But I do think that it's very beneficial for people to have that even just, you know, just in case, just in case you ever need it. You never know. Exactly. Never, if 2020 taught us anything, exactly. it's, you never know. <laughs> so at the point where you thought, okay, let me actually make a business of this. Did you have any background in running a business and growing a business? How did you navigate that phase of your life? Yeah, no, not at all. And I knew that I needed support in that area because I just, one thing that I like about myself is that I realize what my strengths are and what my weaknesses are. And so when I am in a place where I feel like I don't have enough knowledge or information or guidance, I'm like, okay, I need to go seek that out. So when I decided not to renew my contract, um, my contract ended in August, 2018. And at that point, I was still thinking of myself as a freelancer. I was still thinking of a plan to just pay my bills and maybe eventually replace my income. I wasn't thinking as a business owner, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I didn't like, yeah. I didn't have that. It didn't have that level of gravity in my mind. But once I realized that I needed a business coach and I started looking into different coaches, I realized I have an opportunity to make this into something that is more legitimate. And that's what I want to do. So I really just kept my eyes peeled for different coaches who I thought would be able to help me. The problem was I did not know exactly what I needed help with because you don't know what you don't know. And so I couldn't verbalize. I could say to you, I think I need a coach, but I could not say to you, I think I need someone to help me create systems for my business or package my service in a specific way. I just didn't have the language to be able to express that. So I was basically just consuming podcasts, watching videos that featured various business coaches so that I could see who would resonate with me and in what direction I might need to go in. And it worked out because I found who I needed to find, but it wasn't a simple process for me. Mm. So what were the outcomes for you after you had that coaching? How far were you able to take your business? I would not have the business that I have now if I had not had the coaching that I found. So even just from being able to solidify what my offer was and who I was creating this service for prior to working with my coach, I was doing all kinds of online marketing content for all kinds of health companies. Health is not specific. Health is a huge sector, as everyone knows. <laughs> so yes. mm -hmm. I had clients who were, they wrote, th these clients were publishers of textbooks for health students who were taking their licensure exams. I had clients who were like your WebMD, Healthline type clients. I had clients who were private practice physicians. It just ran the gamut. And so there was, because there was no rhyme or reason to who I was working with or what services I was providing to them, I was not being efficient with my time or with my expertise. And so after working with my coach, I was able to say, hey, this is the specific service that I can deliver. And I know that this service is like my area of expertise. 
this is the specific group of people I deliver this service to. And again, it was a language thing. Now that I have the language to be able to communicate that confidently, then the people who could benefit from that, they hear what I'm saying and they hear that I'm talking to them. And so Mm -hmm. by having that structure and that guidance to, to kind of get through this process, I was able to build the business in a way that was more intentional and more efficient, increase referrals because people know that Megan is providing the same service for everyone. So if I have a colleague who I know needs this as well, I can let them know. My content was able to be consistent and build on top of each other because it was all geared towards the same group of people. It's not like I was making a video for a chief medical officer and then making another video for a psychiatrist, it was all consistent. So I think the consistency was the biggest and most important thing that I was able to take away from having a coach. So in following you, I know you built your business to a point where you wanted to pivot it. You wanted to do something different. So what is that point that you reached in your business? Yeah. So the going back to the pandemic, right? I have mm. two, two young children, a four-year-old and an 18-month-old. And up until literally last week, they have been at home with me and my husband since March. And so that having them at home severely reduced the amount of time that I had to work with clients directly. And so I got my business to a point where I was pretty much maxed out in terms of the number of clients that I could personally serve and serve at the level that I wanted to serve them at. I had three like retainer clients through my core service. And then I had three other clients that had different packages, but I was working with about five to six clients. And I just reached a level where I wanted to grow, but I couldn't grow without bringing on additional help. And so it put me at this turning point where I had to decide, am I going to bring on subcontractors or people who can am I essentially going to create an agency model or am I going to be able to pivot in another direction? And the agency thing, that was not a new consideration. Like that was not a 2020 thing. That's something that I knew I would, I would have to get to the level of, I would have to get to the point of making that decision eventually. And I had just been putting off making that decision. But ultimately what I decided in 2020 was that I just don't want an agency model. I'm not interested in that. And so once I made that decision, it freed me to be able to say, okay, so since I have decided that this is not what I'm going to do, how do I need to pivot so that I can still grow my business, but in a way that is more sustainable, more scalable, and in a way that fits the lifestyle that I need and the business that I want to have? Lifestyle. You just said the key there because yeah. some people start a business and then work themselves to the ground. When they forget that the business was supposed to help them create a more ideal lifestyle. Exactly. And I knew that if I went in the route of an agency, I would just feel like I was working for my business, if that makes sense. Like I would just Mm -hmm. feel like I created 
another job for myself. So my decision was to figure out another way that I could still accomplish the ultimate goal of what I sought to do with the service that I offered, which was to be able to help fight health misinformation online by creating content that is that is relevant, that is accurate, but that's also engaging and interesting. And so the question was, okay, how can I still achieve that end goal without necessarily having to offer this specific service to do that? And so once I figured out like, this is the question that I need to answer, I was able to say, okay, these are my options for ways that I can do this in a way that is not as intensive on my time. So ultimately, what did you decide? So ultimately, I decided that I would teach other health professionals how to build health writing businesses. So I would essentially teach them the foundations of health content marketing, which is what I offer for clients. And in that way, I was essentially packaging what I, the process, this 2017 to 2021 process that I went through, packaging that into a 12-week program and saying, hey, this is how you can work with other health clients so that you can also help fight health misinformation online by becoming a health writer, you know, in addition to whatever clinical career you have. Because the thing that I realized, and realize it's not the best word because I already knew this, but throughout my journey, I was very vocal about what I was doing on LinkedIn. And I have always had a lot of conversations with younger health professionals, but also peers and older health professionals who want to know, hey, how do you get into medical writing? How do you get into health writing? How like this is not something that I have training in or exposure to. So there were lots of pick your brain sessions and interviews about how I managed to get into that space. And so I realized, well, this is something that people have been asking me literally since I graduated from pharmacy school. I know that there's interest there. I know that there's a need there. I'm at a point now where I feel confident in my ability to teach someone else how to do it. Because the thing was, when I first started my business, my coach asked me, she was like, can't you just teach other people how to do this rather than doing this yourself? And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not interested. And then three years later, I'm like, oh, I can now, now I'm in a place where I know I know exactly what I need to teach someone in order to be able to replicate what I did. So that's what I'm doing now. Got it. So now you have a one to many option. So one to many sounds like it's fairly scalable, though. And I know you had a crunch on your time with the kids at home. So now why then would you go back to a nine to five? That's a great question. So one correction, the students who I'm working with right now, I'm working with two students and they're one-to-one because this is my first time offering the program. So I wanted to work with them individually first, but in the next round, that's when I'll begin the one-to-many. So same, just wanted to clarify that point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I had the same question. And when my when I told my friends that I was that I had accepted an offer, they had a similar question. And the first answer is that I was not looking for a position. But when I saw the title of this position, I was again on LinkedIn, like scrolling through my newsfeed and 
I don't know if you're active on the platform, but just like other social media sites, if someone you're friends with likes something, you sometimes see what they liked, even though Mm -hmm. you're not following the person that posted that. So one of my LinkedIn connections must have liked this posting. And so it showed up in my feed. And when I read the title of it, I was like, I can see the title and I can see the company. And I was like, hmm, this seems interesting. Let me click on it and read. So I read the description and I was like, my jaw was on the floor by the time I finished reading it because the description was like the perfect concoction of everything that I've ever done in my professional background. And it was also very relevant to me from a personal perspective. So I applied, like I applied immediately. I didn't even think about it. It was the it was the easiest cover letter I've ever written. And I've not <laughs> written a cover letter in like since 2017, probably. And I I probably had to update my CV because I don't remember the last time I would have touched that, but I just sent it over right away. But insert all the statements of look at God, alignment, all of that, because the fact that you went into entrepreneurship because you couldn't find a role that embodied everything you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward Here's something that encompasses it all. That's incredible. Exactly. I thought so too. And I I didn't really have any expectations about what would come from it. I, I didn't know if one, it would be something that allowed me to continue working in my business because that was a requirement. Like I that was a non-negotiable. I didn't know if it would be something that could be remote because I also was not going to move. That was also non-negotiable. So there were all of these, you know, open questions that I had that I'm like, I don't know if this is going to shake out for anything, but I feel convicted to apply for this position just because it spoke to me that much. The other thing though, related to kind of the pivot that we just talked about was that I knew I was so deep in client work that I didn't have time to do anything else, including time to pivot. I literally Mm. could not continue to work with six clients and figure out how to shift my business and watch these kids all day and still have time for myself so that I don't go crazy. So even though I made the decision in my mind that I needed to pivot, I did not have the time or the space, like those important resources to be able to do so because of the conditions that the pandemic created. So the other beautiful thing about not only this role, but also the timing of it all was that at that exact, not the exact moment, but around that same time that I decided to pivot, that's when this role came about. And having the time to be able to let clients go, still make money and pivot my business at the same time was invaluable. I literally could not have launched the program that I just described to you if I didn't have the resources to be able to step back from my client work and do that. And I think that's a very important distinction to mention there is sometimes you need to take a step to the side, do something else so that it can enhance the path that you were previously on if you still want to stay on it. Now, let's talk about the conversations you had to have with your new employer. Mm -hmm surrounding the business that you wanted to continue to run. Because on the other side of this journey, that's oftentimes a conversation that people looking to start a business on the side are 
hesitant to have with their employers. So how did you navigate that conversation of, I have a business and I want to continue to run it? Yeah. So my main thing was I wanted to see what the, what the written policy was. I relied more on the written word versus the verbal word, because the written word that this is, the policy is what it is. So if it's written here on this paper, then I know that these are the guidelines that I need to follow to stay in compliance with, you know, with all the rules and the regulations. So I just asked for if there is documentation of sometimes it's called an outside employment policy or an outside work policy, if you're thinking of asking your employer for it. But when I asked for that, I literally just read through the entire document to see where there were maybe places of vulnerability. Was there something that I needed to be worried about that I was offering? Were were there potential conflicts of interest? And how do I need to address those things in order to make sure that I'm in compliance? I'm not, you know, working on my business during, during work time or using work resources and things like that. So I think the biggest thing is to, you know, have a conversation that's fine if you want to broach that conversation, but also look to the written documentation, the written policies that companies have around this. So you can be very sure and crystal clear about uh, what the expectations are. Mm. That's a great tip that I don't think I've heard in that way before, because sometimes you can have a handshake agreement with your manager, Mm -hmm. but what if that manager is no longer your manager and the new manager comes in and that person is like by the letter, right? So then you have an issue, but the good thing for you is you were able to be transparent at the beginning of your relationship Mm -hmm. and you knew what the rules were. So you can continue to play by those rules. Now, I'm sure people have asked you, And I'm sure your employer is wondering, are you going to stay on the double entrepreneur plus full-time employment path or is this for a season? What's the plan? It's hard to say because I did not foresee myself being in this position right now. But I will say that I don't foresee myself in the future, you know, being a full-time employee for the rest of my life. I cannot say what happens in the interim. I am very, very happy with my role and at my job. I think I forgot to mention this when we were talking about that transition, but The third reason that I decided to actually accept the offer was because I felt like it would be, it is not the same as what I offer through my company Stock Rose, but it is in a similar ballpark. And so it allows me to use the skills that I have, but to implement them in a different way that I have not had the opportunity to do before. So I'm still relying on like what my area of expertise is, but I'm also stretching and learning a lot in this particular role that I don't think I would have been able to do in my own business. And so I'm enjoying, now it is uncomfortable a lot of times, but I am enjoying the process of stretching and learning and being able to take advantage of opportunities and trainings and things of that nature that I would not have otherwise. What I know though, is that whenever in the future I do decide to part, that I will have so many more skills in this same area that I can apply to my company and to building that and growing that, that I would not have had if I did not take this role and did not have this opportunity. So I can't say what happens in the future. I do think that I'll be here for, 
at least a couple of years just because I enjoy it and I want to learn as much as I possibly can. But importantly, it is also, I also took this very intentionally because I think that it will help my business and my growth professionally outside of work as well. I love that. And you did mention that you've always been active on LinkedIn. You currently maintain a YouTube channel. So how do you feel about being so present online while now being employed? Because I think that's another point of contention sometimes people have with having a side business is because you have to be out there yeah. to some degree, right? Yeah, it's it's weird. Honestly, I'm still getting used to that because there are some I'm not connected with everyone that I work with on LinkedIn. And a part of that is intentional because I post a lot that's relevant to my business and not necessarily relevant to like the work that I do. But there are a couple of people who do follow me and they actually or we are connected and we were actually connected before I took the position. And so it's interesting because they'll like like my video. So I, like, I know that they see it and I don't know like what how that comes across to them. Like, I don't know what their perception is. But also with my YouTube channel, which is completely unrelated to Stock Rose, it's more of a, you know, personal channel. And there are a couple of coworkers who also see, follow me on Instagram. And so they see that as well. And so I think for me, it's just being, I'm not going to say that I don't care. I think that I, I've never been in the habit of letting other people's potential perceptions affect what it is that I do. So in some situations, it's like, Hmm, I wonder what this person thinks about that. But at the same time, that's not going to stop me from doing what I am planning to do as long as I know that I'm not breaking any rules or, you know, violating any policies. I'm fine. You're here. This is my account. You're fine. If you don't want to can be that. So yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird and I'm still getting used to it, but I'm not going to let, you know, any of that stop my show. I just make sure that I'm doing, you know, following all the policies and the people are, they're, they're cool. They're, they're not like bad people or anything. It's just weird because they're coworkers. Yeah. But you know what? I love that you are on a mission. You know what you're trying to get out of everything that you're intentionally doing in your life, whether it be business related or professional within a corporate realm. You understand the reason for what you're doing. And that, I think, helps you get comfortable with whatever it is that you're putting out in the world. You're doing it intentionally and you're doing it with integrity. So there's just nothing to really hide. Yeah. Right. I think yeah. when you come at it from a position of I'm trying to hide this from the world, that's what makes it a little bit sticky because you got to promote a business. But if you're hiding, how does that work? Right. Um, <laughs> but the other thing I've heard, which is interesting, is as millennials, we are a little bit of a bridge generation in mm -hmm. that we're the generation that may have lived without internet and is now living with internet. Whereas later generations, they can probably start where we are now with, I'm going to craft a career for myself that is more of a portfolio and a hybrid career. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with navigating that. Whereas we are the generation that's done both. Yeah. And we're still navigating what that looks like. So it's very interesting to hear what your pivots and your changes have been from your perspective, because I think it's important for other people who are trying to make similar maneuvers mm -hmm. that they learn that it's okay. And that there are people who are doing this from the gate right now. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and a group of my friends and I actually had this conversation recently mm -hmm. and 
I, I think that online and just in general conversations with like peers, one phrase that I hear a lot is, you know, they never told us this, or they never told us that, or we were always taught that adulthood would be like X or like Y. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, but for our parents' generations, I think in a lot of cases, they, they taught us what they knew, right? So they taught us based on what they knew as adults at that time. Mm -hmm. things are so much different now, like (laughs) indescribably different. They could not have prepared us. I don't think for a society where people didn't work in the same job for 40 years, because that's all they knew. That's what they did. That was the norm then. So like you said, with us being that bridge, there are a lot of barriers that we're going through ourselves without any real models from older people to follow, which makes it important for us to share our experiences with each other because that's our only source of information. It's not like we can say, hey, Ma, what did you do? My mom's working at the same job that she worked in when she graduated from college and she's going right. to retire there and she's fine. And she doesn't that. get what you're doing. She's exactly. just like, she you have a business it. and like, you have, what are you, what, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you talking about? So it's, it's important. I think that platforms like yours are really important for us being able to just talk honestly and transparently about the decisions that we're having to make, the questions that we're having to ask ourselves. And mm-hmm. most importantly, like, how are we feeling when we are going through those things? Because if you're just talking about the challenges that you're facing, a lot of times we talk about that in retrospect, right? Like I'm telling you about pivots that I made years ago my emotions, like what you're getting from my emotions right now do not reflect what my emotions were in those moments where I was deciding on these pivots. Like it was uncomfortable. I didn't know if I was doing the right thing. Was I committed to doing it regardless? Yes. But does that mean that I was like not conflicted about it or that I didn't have doubts or that I didn't feel like maybe I'm not doing the right thing? No, like I I experienced all those things. So I just think it's really important for us to continue to share and really talk about our experiences as we're trying to navigate professional life, entrepreneurship, career, parenthood, all, all the things. I know. And I do appreciate how candid you've been with us and how transparent you've been with us, especially given that you are in the midst of your latest pivot. And we got a sense for this is how I'm feeling. Some of it is very comfortable and encouraging. Some of it is uncomfortable because I'm doing it for the first time. I think that's great for other women to see as they are contemplating similar moves, that it's not all about quit your job and become an entrepreneur, but you need to start to see it as more of a fluid portfolio of life events that are going to take place at some point in time within our lives as well. Agree. Mm -hmm. And not to let other people's potential perceptions of whatever it is that you're doing affect the decisions that you make. Absolutely. Because had I considered people's opinions, I probably wouldn't have done half of the things that I've done to date. Right. (laughs) And now that they've been successful, 
knock, knock, knock. I'm talking to people from my past. You're like, oh, how did you do it? Right. So it's important to really have something other than other people's opinions be your North Star as you're making decisions. But for now, anyone who is just really intrigued and wants to champion you as you are going down your your journey, where can we find you? Where can we follow? Thanks. Hopefully, if you are interested in, you know, knowing more about my journey or keeping keeping tabs on how things are going, I share a lot in my Instagram stories. So you can follow me at Multipassionate Meg on Instagram. And the YouTube channel for Multipassionate Meg is also linked in my Instagram bio. So there are lots of behind the scenes conversations and also tips that I learn along the way that are shared there. Great. Thank you so much, Megan. I really appreciate your transparency with us today. Thank you. It was a great conversation. Thank you. Hi, Offscripters. I'm so glad you made it to the end of this episode. If you enjoy listening to our show, please pay it forward by sharing us with your network. Between episodes, you can find me on Instagram. Our handle is at She's Offscript, or you can catch up on past episodes at She's Offscript.com. See you on the next one.